it's hard to talk about injustice without first looking at the cross. And today's meditation has always been focusing on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to thank Tim for making all the arrangement of songs um, captured uh, very well. Thank you. The text given to me is uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 53, and right up to Matthew chapter, uh, Mark, sorry, Mark chapter 15, verse 5. And uh, let me read to you the, a portion of that, and I think it, it sets the tone of how we want to look today at this whole topic of injustice. Mark, sorry, Mark chapter 14, verse 53 to 65. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priest, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their stories straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and say, Why do we need other witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. And then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fist. Prophesy to us, they jeer. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. Taken from the New Living Translation. This is immediately after the arrest of Jesus at Gethsemane. And actually, for your information, Jesus didn't go through one trial in that whole period on Monday, Thursday, right up to Friday. He actually went through consecutively four different trials. And I'll walk you through piecing together the Gospels. During the trial of Jesus, no one, no one was called to his defense and Peter, who was outside, denied Jesus three times. And prior to this, at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' words to Peter, commenting on his action, when the guards came to arrest him, uh, when he cut the ear of the high priest, he says, No force, the kingdom of God, is not won with a sword. And whoever uses a sword, also die by the sword. No force used. And this is how Jesus' mission must be carried out. And at the same time, around that time, Jesus also had another thought highlighted, picked up by Luke, and he says, this is your hour when darkness reigns. And I believe very much that Satan thought and believed that in capturing Jesus and in sentencing him to, to die and crucify he will end and he will defeat God. But unknown to him, God used his very scheme, his very thought, and turn it and bring about his defeat and bring about the salvation of men. These are the four trials that Jesus went through. The segment I read was actually the first trial before the religious leaders or what we call the Sanhedrin. 
And this is taken, the text that I read was Matthew 14, verse 53 to 65. It is actually at night. And then the second trial is actually what we call the one that appeared before Pontius Pilate. You actually can read that in the text, Matthew 15, verse Mark 15, verse 1 to 5. And it's actually held very early in the morning. You may just say past midnight. And then there is actually a third trial. It's actually before King Herod. And this was not recorded and is actually merged uh, or rather missed out, as it were. Uh, Mark didn't highlight that, but you can capture that in Luke chapter 23, 7 to 11. And then after that, King Herod sent back to Pontius Pilate, and this would be the second trial before Pontius Pilate. You captured that in actually Mark 15, verse 6 to 15. These are the four trials of Jesus, and there is a reason for this sequence that they went through. And uh, let me just quickly go through the first trial. And these are some other references, Matthew 26, Luke 22, John 18. The trial before the Sanhedrin. Why? Before the religious leaders. Only the religious leaders can prosecute. However, they do not have the authority to crucify or to pass judgment on death. And so the power of the Sanhedrin is limited to prosecute and they are actually guilty of a very gross travesty of justice on four different areas, if you look at the whole trial, number one is the time of the trial. It was at night. It's a very peculiar one. Huh? Number two is the nature of the meeting. Very likely, not the entire Sanhedrin was assembled. And there may be one or two. In my mind, I was just wondering whether Joseph was there, whether Nicodemus was there, maybe another person, whether Gamelia was there. And so these were interesting. The manner in which the trial was conducted, Jesus had no witnesses called. He has no defense made on his behalf. He couldn't call on anyone or they didn't actually allow him. And the outcome was very strange. And the outcome was Jesus was worthy of death. And, and the question in, uh, in chapter 14, verse 60 to 61 Jesus could not lie. He has to confess that He is the Son of God. And in replying so, He actually walked into a very trap that was set. Because in saying that, He would be actually blaspheming. And for that count, He could, and they will ask for His death. And it is actually to fulfill what the prophets say in the Scripture. Second trial. So, they couldn't, they couldn't kill him. So they, they thought the only best person who could and actually the only person at that time in Israel who could is actually this person by the name of Pontius Pilate. The first trial before Pontius Pilate, he is actually the governor of Judea and the period he was was AD 26 to 36. He has the authority to crucify Jesus and and during the first trial, during this time, he found that, wow, this guy is actually a very controversial person. He actually came from Galilee, from the accounts given by the, the, the chief priest that actually went with him. And then knowing that he's from Galilee, he actually uh, did what we call in Hokkien Siam. Huh? He know King Herod at that time was in Jerusalem. So what he did was, since Herod was actually the king of Judea, right? so what he did was he sent him over to King Herod. And the outcome, which is very strange, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this event, these two have never talked to each other. They were enemies with each other. So the trial of Jesus actually brought some reconciliation. Very strange ones. Very strange bait partners. Huh? Um, this Herod is actually Herod Antipas, or what we call the Tetrad of Galilee and Perea during the period of 4 BC to AD 39. And uh, let me just show you a, a chart of this family. This family in four generations have persecuted Jesus, 
his apostles and his church. The first Herod was the, the one that went after Jesus. The second Herod that was highlighted, the one in circle, actually is the one significant to send John the Baptist uh, to his death, beheaded him. And this is the same Herod that actually trialed Jesus at the third trial. And then another the Herod, uh, the Herod Agrippa one, is responsible. If you read Acts 12, the third generation of this, huh, is responsible to have James murdered, or rather martyred. And then you can read at Acts 12 that King Herod actually died. So this third trial was before a very strange man. He was actually greatly pleased to see Jesus. So uh, he thought there was probably be an offering from uh, Pontus Pilate. Huh? And so he was hoping to see Jesus perform miracles. Jesus remained silent to many of the questions that Herod asked him. And the outcome was, even though Jesus was innocent, Herod did not free him. And he him again. So actually for courtesy, he sent him back to Pontus Pilate. He could actually set him free. And then the trial would have been over. Terrible, huh? Four trials, and probably this would be, probably the, the light is coming on. It's maybe 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7, 8, around that time. The fourth trial. This is the second trial before Pontus Pilate. After being sent back from Herod, this is already in the morning. And if you read in Matthew chapter 27, his wife, no name was given, was greatly disturbed in her sleep. Throughout that night, when he was having the first trial, and then when Herod was, in, was actually seeing Jesus, the wife could not sleep. So the wife felt that, wow, this man... This man, Jesus, is really unusual, huh? And he sent a message. And this is one of those times that men didn't take in good advice. <laughs> the wife sent a very, very good message. Let him go. And the husband didn't listen. Instead, he released a rebel, a notorious criminal, and also a murderer instead of Jesus. The outcome, Pilate sentenced Jesus to be crucified, even though he's innocent. There were one conversation, if you want to read, in John 19, verse 10 to 11, and where this is the second trial between Pontius Pilate and uh, Jesus, and, you will, and, and Jesus said to him, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So during this second trial, Pontus actually looked at Jesus and he said, Hey, do you know I have the power to release you or send you to death? And Jesus answered. And this one, this is one of those times that Jesus decided to answer, You have no power over me if you're not given to you from above. No, the trial of Jesus has been very helpful to me over the years, and they have provided me a framework uh, whenever I'm in trouble. Uh, this is one segment I've never shared for, for many years in my life. It has been kept very silent. And uh, during the start of Care Channels, during the January 2000, I undergo a series of trials. Actually trials, uh, you may say. Um, a series of letters were written on a quarterly basis and they were sent to various authorities in the Philippines. And it was actually uh, written with no name. The first complaint to the immigration accusing Chen and I for being involved in illegal activities, money laundering, triads, and uh, whatever. So immediately we were summoned. We were, we were sent a letter, a letter came to our home, and we were summoned to appear before the officer. And I mean, I've, I've never been summoned in my life. You know, it's really quite an experience. Chen and I went and together with our supervisor and uh, we 
we had to sit there, wait for our turn, and then our turn came, and uh, it went through for about half an hour, and then the officer looked at us, and I think when he looked at my face, maybe, and my wife, you know, and they thought this couldn't be the, this couldn't be the big gangster chief, you know. <laughs> he has no tattoo, you know, it's clean cut. And then instead he said, hey, this is the missionary. So he found, and then, and then he found that uh, our visa was quite different. And then he says, can you please uh, go to a lawyer, write a, write a letter, a sworn statement, and then send it to me. I think the case will be closed. And then we breathed a sigh of relief. I thought life is finished huh? and can carry on. And uh, three months later, another letter appeared before the National Bureau of Investigation, equivalent to uh, FBI. Uh, in US. And so another summon letter came. And this time we thought, wow, this is interesting. This time we were, we were accused to be heavy drug traffickers. <laughs> I mean, you look at me, I've got to be, got to be quite convinced that I'm a serious drug trafficker, not 10 grams, you know, but we go by the kilos. Huh? And so I have to appear and then I have to, again, you know, go through the motion. And then three months later again, I appeared before the uh, Philippine Police, National Police. And then the fourth one went to the Department of Social Welfare. And this time it was quite interesting. I now became a child trafficker. All right? And uh, I actually um, have kids in the office. So they came with a search warrant to the office. And they were checking every single wall thinking there was a trap door somewhere that lead to some dungeon like uh, Harry Potter type, you know. Yeah, so obviously there was none. And so this continue. I think they've exhausted all the department in, uh, in the Philippines. They can't repeat the same story because if I appear, then it would be funny. Huh? So it lasted really for two years. And it was uh, from being stressed to being frightened, uh, especially the first time, uh, learning to be calmer and more confident as progressively it, it goes on. And after each encounter, uh, staff would look at me and uh, wondering what I would do. I would just appear in the office, didn't say anything, and continue the ministry. It was a picture like that for two years. So my staff, I, I made no comments, literally. Um, they were surprised. I actually also don't know what to say. Um, at, at that time, but it was, it was very significant. And I think at that period, uh, Pastor Kokfai gave me a book. It's a very interesting book. It's, it's called A Tale of Three Kings. Remember, Kokfai? By Gene Edwards. And it's, it's, been a, it's been a fantastic reading for me. It's, a, it's one of those books that I read like four times through. And during this period of time, these two years, the story of Saul the story of David and the story of Absalom was meaningful to me. And out of that came a, a series of teachings that I was doing in the slums. And uh, so it continued. The question is this. Why did Jesus have to suffer all these injustice before dying on the cross? Just come die Finish, right? Salvation of man is handled. Satan is defeated. Why all these difficulties? And I think the, the interesting point here can be traced or can be seen in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 to 18. If you have your Bible, if you want, you can look at that. If not, I, it's quite quite small, I, I print the whole text, but I like to walk through and gave you 11 reasons why Jesus must face injustice. And with it, you may also feel or you may see some of you today going through that. And I think it forms a very interesting response or interesting pathway or interesting framework in which we handle injustice. Hebrews chapter 2, 
verse 9 to 18. And verse 9, what we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels, because he suffered death for us. He is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. And these are the first two reasons. Crowned with glory and honor, made a little lower than the angels because man was exactly like that. The humanity of man. So Jesus, in all his glory, King of kings, Lord of lords, when he was born as a babe in Bethlehem, truly was made lower than the angels. Very something very hard to grasp. He identified with us. And he tasted or experienced death for everyone. The third one, verse 10. God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. Another version was, it says, it was fitting for Jesus to be made perfect through suffering. What does it mean? That means it is actually right, it's actually good, it actually makes sense that Jesus has to suffer. And in Isaiah 53, it says that it is the will of God to crush him. Very interesting word, huh? To crush him. Jesus made perfect through suffering. Verse 11, it says to us, So now Jesus and the ones he made, he makes holy, have the same Father. And this is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. That means he's, he identifies with us. And for this very reason, he's not ashamed. Let me retranslate it a little bit. He is proud to call us his brothers and sisters. Verse 14. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also becomes flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die, and, the, and only by dying could He break the power of the devil who has the power of death. He has to die to break the power. Because when He died, the power is not conquered yet. When He died, when he resurrects, then the power of death is conquered. Verse 15, it says here, Only in this way could he set us free, all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus has to face death, and this death must be faced in his severest form in all his injustice. Therefore, to show us how much he loved us and how much he cared for us. Verse 17, Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sin of the people. So you find, brothers and sisters, you, you, you have to feel when the author of Hebrew write, and as he looked at that, he's also telling us, Jesus faced this, and Jesus allowed us an understanding into life, and there are many injustices today that we face. And Jesus faced them silently, but he didn't lie. He answered 
And he faced the tomb. And verse 18. Since he himself had gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. He's able to help us. Recently, my wife and I are helping a very close friend going through their or separated husband and wife. And the husband decided to talk to us. And in sharing with us, he, he shared his pain. And part of the pain made him felt that God was really unfair. If God is God, then he must be able to stop this. And, and, and so I hear him. And I, I, after his sharing, he says, can I say something? I'd like to address one of the pain of yours. And it's your understanding or your accusation that God was not kind to you. And that he should, he should step into your world and stop it. And then your marriage is perfect and good. And they say, if God were to do that, then you and I would never be able to make choices. Maybe God will tell you, don't marry your wife. The fact that God gave you a choice would bind God from entering and stopping you from making choices. And the choices you make, the actions you have, the words you say, therefore, have consequences. The pain you have and the separation that is, has come. Can I also want to say something to you? That as much as you are feeling the pain, God is also feeling the pain for you. It's just that He's silent in your experience. Very difficult, huh? Many times in our own life, things happen and we think that it is unjust. And then we turn to God and we say, hey, it's not fair, huh? And then we want God to overturn it. But God says, I gave you the, the, the very essence of you when I created you in my image is that you have a chance to choose. And you make choices like me. And the choices you make will have its consequence. And when it turned bad, and I look to him and says, it is not the end of the story. Because as long as there is life, there is hope. There is hope. And hope springs eternal. Let me read to you a passage we read for many, many times in the earlier days in Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11. It says here, this is the suffering servant. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to crush Jesus, and cause him to suffer. It was said to Jesus, and Jesus knew what he was going through. At the garden, he struggled. At the garden, he struggled. We just celebrated Good Friday. We we, we celebrated Easter. And he says here again, he says, And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, and this is something very interesting, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in Jesus' hands. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. The suffering of Jesus, it's very important. He will see his offspring and his days prolong. And Jesus will see the light of life and be satisfied. When my, when my seven years ended, 
my supervisor had a coming to an end and we are ready to come back to Singapore. My my supervisor sat down with me and you know we, we sat down and we we talked and he, he asked me singing, What is your best time? What are the most momentous time, your happiest time? And and uh, and that you enjoyed and you, you think it is really significant to you in the Philippines. And I looked at him and I says, You know, my best time is the year two thousand and two thousand and one. You could see his jaw. Because in every visit to each of the departments, he was next to me. And after that, we drove back, and uh, it was just one hour of silence in the car, you know, with all the traffic. We hardly spoke to each other. And he was waiting for me to say something. I also don't know what to say. So it's every session like that. Huh? And so he saw me. If there's anything, he would see me those times. And then when I said to him, he looked surprised. He says, singing, why? Tell me, why is this your best time? <laughs> I have, I've seen God work during that period of time. I've never seen. It was a glimpse. It was a glimpse. And it was, and, and, and the book that Kokfai shared with me, and there was a one section reflected on 10 years that David ran away from Saul. Huh? From a teenager, an old teenager, till the time he became the king of Judah and then the king of Israel. 10 years. And the author reflected and he says, in every king, there is a Saul inside. And the Saul has to be extracted out for the king to be the king anointed by God. Saul failed. And God anointed David. There is a Saul inside David. And Saul, that Saul has to be taken out. And it took 10 years for God to use King Saul to take the Saul out of David. And after 10 years, the Lord prepared the man. And if there is anything today, of all the kings, King David is the most unusual. Not Solomon. If there is anything about Solomon, it's nothing about him, honestly. If there is anything nice, was his prayer for wisdom. And that it didn't even last long. Huh? His wisdom got him the most number of wives that we can ever think about. So, one day I punched my calculator. If he were to sleep with a, with a one of his wife, everyone different. He would take more than nearly two and a half to three years. Can you imagine this one man? Where his wisdom is that? One already very difficult. <laughs> but you must see that maybe he has got good skills that all the men don't have. Huh? God is kind to this man. Nothing to do with the man, I believe. He has everything to do with David what God promised. And so sometimes the goodness in our life really has nothing to do with us. It may be our Father who has gone before us. During those days are the days where I see God worked and God affirmed that journey. And out of that came care channels. And the church has been significantly part of this. And the leadership has been supportive. And, and really, if I pack my bag and come back, many times I can tell you, even my supervisor and his wife will sit down. You know, Chuan, don't you think it's time for you to go back? Are you sure you want to stay? You know, it's, it's, it's a two-year marathon, huh? And I says, and, and I, I still remember one, one time, you know, in the, in the thick of it. And uh, I came back one day from the office. And I, I sat and I, I saw a new street directory on the table. And I was very surprised. I said, oh, Chen, who, who actually gave us this? And my wife looked at me and says, 
Well, I actually bought it. It's a, it's a new one. It's pretty good. It gives you all the directions of roads and a very clear, bigger map. And uh, very, very well done and very printed. I says, why? We already got one in the car. He says, well, I don't know about you, but I thought the new map will help us navigate the roads better. And then she looked at me and she says, I'm staying. I don't know about you, but I'm staying. These are the red dots today. Where the people of God, the servant of God, is stretching out, is reaching out. These are what, over the years, I've seen. In just 2015, more than 9,000 patients treated, assisted in 37 surgeries, significant for many of these poor families, conducted health education in 19 areas, reaching out to more than a quarter million people with health education, directly and indirectly. We are sending 2,000, nearly 2,700 children to school. Not to mention the children in, in tuition and kindergarten. It's nearly 1,000. Can you imagine we feed 4,079 children? Five meals a week. You buy vegetables, so you ping san. You plan the meals, one meal a day. And some of you have seen the, the crafts, the agriculture programs and the computer labs that we recycle computers. And let me show you the last slide. Oops, sorry. Yeah, this is the one. This is the one that really cheered my heart. In 2015, we have recorded 806 conversions. Don't include PPH. Huh? All right? Don't include the migrant workers here. Baptisms, we have 332. And Bible study groups started, new Bible study groups started, 113 today. I would never, ever have a chance to catch just a glimpse of it if I pack my bag and come home. I flew back yesterday and I told Pastor Kofai not to share too much uh, today, but I'll share a little. I, Chen and I went to the Philippines and on Tuesday, she developed a very severe drug uh, allergy and uh, rashes uh, spread throughout her body. She was admitted to hospital in Davao uh, on Friday morning, and then set on severe drips. And then on Saturday morning, her condition stabilized. And uh, we then flew back on Silk Air. We arrived and arrangement has been made for her to be admitted to NUH. And that's why last night, Pastor was saying, I was at the hospital till 1 a.m. You also know my situation in Bangladesh. I, I don't know how to read this series of events, except that uh, it's very exciting. Uh, not in the sense that I choose it, but it's exciting from the sense that I don't know what it means and that I await. I await for the Lord to show. So, brothers and sisters, some of you may be going through very difficult times. Don't jump to conclusions. Be patient. Wait. God may remain silent. And God may want to share and tell you, but whatever it is, something that has often reminded me, the hour of darkness may come, but it is God's will for it to be turned around. Only, only when we dare and we persevere. 
So the closing song I, I chose was something that we sang. It's uh, Man of Sorrows. And I'm going to ask the music team to come. And uh, I'm going to ask us to prepare our hearts uh, as we look to the Lord. And as you face challenges in your life, and as you meditate on the scriptures, that your heart may be silent like the Lord Jesus, that your heart may look to Him and understand that in the midst of all these, He has something. So I'm going to ask uh, Timothy, Tim, to lead us. Church, can we stand for this song?
church I'm just going to have a moment of silence I do not know what you're going through today or the last week or the last month or the last year but I hope that today the word of God has encouraged you the word of God remind you that he truly loves you moment of silence the Lord will speak to you at this time I close in prayer I just felt the word for those who serve whether as a lay leader for those who serve as a full-time worker be strong be very strong be very courageous the Lord is with us whatever we face the trials the difficulties will come because we enter the very front line because we choose to battle with the one who holds the power of death and that power has been cancelled and God stands with us today for those who will be sent from among us be sure that you will face this in its different degree but be sure that when you face this, the Lord is with you. Let's close. Lord, I'm reminded of this segment that we sang once in a while, this beautiful song that reads, We will follow Thee, my Saviour, wherever the pathway may go through the storm or through the valley or through great trials so low I rest in thee I trust in thee I pledge my life in thy hands I will follow thee my saviour lead us on my shepherd lead us on I will live for thee my saviour the war and strife may mark the way. We are weak, but you are strong and mighty. So live through us day by day. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Lord bless. Service is over.